This is the Education Gadfly Show. At some point, there's going to be another recession. Never. uh, Never, David? You promise? All right. This one's forever. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, Marguerite Rosa. Marguerite, welcome back to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and also joining us, my co-host, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Yeah, you do have a fun name to say, Marguerite. I have to. Uh, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I Rosa. It's kind of fun. I don't know. Glad you like it. Marguerite is the director of the Edunomics Lab, which is a research center focused on education finance at Georgetown University. And she's also a research professor at Georgetown's McCourt School of Public Policy. But she is joining us by Skype because uh, she actually lives in the other Washington. Uh, she lives there in Seattle. So welcome to the show, Marguerite. Great to have you back. Great. I'm glad to be here. Yes, we um, we just sort of are elusive, right? We're on the other coast. And yes. uh, just tell people we're in Washington and let them be confused. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Marguerite is one of the nation's leading experts on education finance. And we're going to talk about that in particular, an article she wrote uh, for us a few weeks ago, uh, arguing that uh, the, you know right now are maybe the best of times and they may not be here to stay. So let's do that in Ed Reform Update. So, Marguerite, uh, I know you know, and probably our listeners know, politicians everywhere seem to be getting out their wallets. They want to spend money on education. We've got governors and state legislatures, of course, um, some of which have been subject to teacher strikes and the like, uh, calling for higher teacher salaries. We now have Kamala Harris out on the campaign trail calling for a $300 billion boost to teacher salaries. Uh, Politicians seem to be in a spendy mood. I guess that's because at least state coffers are fuller than they've been recently. Uh, But you've been saying, let's be careful. Uh, This is not likely to be the new new normal. Uh, In fact, we've seen this show before. Tell us more. Yes, we have seen this show before, but it's been a while. And so yeah. many of the folks that are in uh, excited about ed finance and, you know, this most commonly mentioned thing in governor's state of the state um, addresses was we want to fix our ed finance formula, put more money into X, Y, and Z. Um, but so the... I think a lot of the folks that are making these comments weren't in their existing positions back at the beginning of the last recession. Mm-hmm. So in 2007 and 2008, and that was a long time ago. And even when we think about school district CFOs, um, even school district board members, um, folks that really feel the pain when a recession hits, um, these people weren't in their positions 10 years ago mm-hmm. and so may not remember what it feels like to be in this glory mood of we got a lot of money let's um, let's make some changes and then have that followed by financial pain okay. uh, when an economic downturn comes yeah so you you get to play Grinch here <laughs> try mm-hmm. to ruin the party. <laughs> All right. And, and the argument is not so much not to spend. I mean, I think that many of us worry about education. We know that, that schools were hit very hard during the downturn in terms of spending, and that probably had some negative impacts on kids. So, you know, the fact that we can uh, put some resources back into the schools, it's not a terrible thing, right? But what? We need to be careful how we do it? Well, yes. But I think, first of all, um, 
I don't think people are used to taking stock of when we actually have money. So they're sort of used to saying we don't have any money. And in many districts, you know, things do feel pretty grim. But we pulled the districts on our um, a network that we meet with once a month and said, so what are you looking at this year? Are you... Um, just, you know, sort of the 3% enough money to cover the costs that um, have gone up since last year? Or are you actually seeing more like 6% growth in revenues? Um, and they were saying we are seeing more growth in revenues than mm-hmm. would be needed to cover the costs. Um, but we didn't sort of stop and think, wow, this is what it looks like when we're, you know, they're still sort of feeling beleaguered. Yeah. And we're saying, well, this is, you know, those extra investments you're making either in technology or in some new positions or in reading coaches or in bilingual ed, whatever those new investments, that's what the glory days feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think they realize that that's what it is right now. They're sort of saying, but we also need this and this and this. Mm-hmm. So they haven't met their full appetite um, for spending and so may not realize that's the moment we're in. Um, And then when you're in that moment, the idea is be careful of how much costs you add, because when you do have the financial pinch, you may really struggle to continue to fund some of those investments. So, you know, we've had this historically long recovery, 10 years long now, and and most people would say we just based on historical precedent, we assume that at some point there's going to be another recession. And never. When, uh, never, David? You nope. promise? All right. This one's forever. Uh-huh. That'd be great. We finally figured it out. Okay. Uh, but if if and when it comes, uh, that is likely going to mean that those state coffers are going to dry up again uh, and it's it's going to have an impact on the school. So then what what do you say, Marguerite? What are investments that do make sense to be to, to make right now and what are the ones to avoid knowing that this is not going to last? Well, I think... Um We've seen a lot of places increase teacher pay, and that is something you probably should do when you have the money to increase teacher pay. Um, Adding staff is something I would say be a little bit more cautious about, because when you add FTEs, you might think, well, we have such high turnover that if we didn't want to keep them all, a lot of them leave the next year anyway. Well, not during a recession. During a recession, Mm -hmm. everyone hunkers down and stays, and so the turnover that you might have been suffering with suddenly goes away, and now you can't kind of right-size your budget um, or right size your staffing and when you add staff and they decide to stay they get more and more expensive every year and um, and you know we've always been saying we want people to stay except when you're trying to balance your budget and you're thinking of doing layoffs that's about the most horrifying thing for district leaders to have to face um, we say in, in education uh, in almost in every other field labor is not a fixed cost but in education it feels fixed it's really hard to shrink labor. Um, politically, it's really hard to shrink labor. So we say, if you're going to, if you want to add some more capacity, think about paying the staff you have extra hours to take on more tasks. Potentially think about contracting for some of that, paying some retirees extra time to come back in, and that means you're not bringing on more benefits, loads, and things like that that start to feel crippling when a recession comes. Seems pretty smart, right, David? I, I guess so. So you're saying that those, I, I mean, that can be done in a way that doesn't contribute to long-term costs. I mean, I, I, Yeah, I mean, I think so. Well, right now, we education is built around kind of a nine, nine-month school year, right? So there, right. We ha- our current labor, uh, for the most part, doesn't work 
in the summer or not much or not at full capacity and so if you say well if we want to add some more um, reading instruction for kids we might think about building a summer boot camp for students versus trying to add more hours to the existing day with new staff and some of our teachers will really appreciate the additional um, salary that they might get from working in the summer and we've already paid the benefits right we've already paid the health care on that position so we could you know, hire a new reading coach, or we could uh, build a, a summer reading boot camp in the summer, and that might be another way to do it. So, how much of it, in your view, is just that the political incentives are really strong to spend now versus? I mean, that's not quite what I'm hearing from you, though, right? It sounds like you think, in some cases, people really just aren't thinking that far ahead, uh, even though they may still be in their political office mm. five to ten years from now. Um, I'm not even talking about. Uh, political positions. I mean, I think if we think about large school districts and the financial leaders, they're not really political positions. I think we're thinking that, you know, they think we have this much money next year and all the signs are that people want to spend more next year and the year after and the year after. But when a recession hits, it's really hard for states to find a way, you know, state money is really sensitive to recessions. And so um, even if, you know, they say, well, we got to fund our schools, what they don't do is use a five or a six percent increase in that funding. It's more like a one percent or a two percent or a flat one. And that makes it very hard for school districts to cover the costs they've brought on board. Last question, Marguerite. You know, I've, I've been writing a little bit lately about the baby bust uh, and how we've got, at least at, at a national level, uh, fewer kids being born every year. And that's starting to have an impact in our schools, at least in the early elementary grades right now, as, as this cohort works their way through. Got to believe in a lot of places that means that their schools are going to shrink. Enrollment is shrinking. Uh, you see that out there? And I mean, how, how do schools deal with that? That's a double whammy, isn't it? Well, it can be if um, if you're funded on state money and yeah. the state money comes based on the number of pupils you have. Um, and that's, you know, what we've increasingly pushed states to do. And so, yeah, anytime a district loses revenue, either because it loses students um, or for some other kind of reason, like, you know, a levy fails, it's really hard on the district. Districts have a hard time reducing costs. Like I said, when you're running a district, everything feels like a fixed cost. And um, it destabilizes them and sends them into kind of a, a spiral. It, no one wants to lay off the people that work in their community in schools. Uh, many of them are parents of kids who go to those schools. So you're impoverishing those families. So I think in that sense, you know, we this isn't a new problem, even though that's a national trend. We've seen communities hurt by economic shifts mm -hmm. or industries shutting down. It's, it's really hard. And I think we're trying to encourage districts to think about their costs in um, ways that make them a little bit more nimble, um, knowing that that's that's hard to do. And sometimes pushing expenses down to schools and letting schools decide what they want to keep and what they're willing to shed is um, is a way to make that more politically possible. That's right. That, that this involves tough trade-offs. And so if you can try to get community buy-in around those mm -hmm. trade-offs, then you're better off. All right, Marguerite. Well, boy, not a lot of fun news from you. Uh, <laughs> I know. I feel like this was like your most depressing interview and that people are going to like tune in and then they're going to 
um, immediately log off and no, go listen no, to some no. happier need, podcast. We need but. to wrestle with it. We do uh, because otherwise, you know, look, we've got to plan ahead so that, uh, you know, we don't make some of the mistakes we've made in the past. That's a great campaign slogan, Mike. Well uh, done. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, well, what about this? Like, what if we flip it around and we say that um, it's now or never? If you want to get something new, fun, new, you know, new funded item, you got about a couple more weeks to get it done before the window closes. <laughs> Good. Oh, and you heard it here first. Marguerite Rosa predicting a recession any day now. Okay. I said an economic slowdown, I not love a recession. It. All right. Marguerite, thanks so much. Again, Marguerite Rosa, director of the Edgenomics Lab at Georgetown University. Uh, always fun to have you on, even if your message is somewhat depressing. Hope okay. you come back soon. Well, next time I'll bring happier news. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank now you. it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. So yeah, Marguerite, a lot of great advice for school districts. Kind of worried they're not going to take her advice. I would be worried too. It's a little bit like, you know, telling people to keep up their New Year's resolutions or or this time of year, uh, your Lent promises that you made. Mm, Yeah. You you know, gave something up. Yeah. Uh, I gave up Catholicism for Lent many years ago, of course, myself, <laughs> and it stuck. <laughs> so uh, right. I'm, I don't have that problem. Do you give right. stuff up for Lent? I Amber? don't. That's not in That's not my repertoire. No. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. So. I, I suspect they don't do that out on the uh, in Oregon. Yeah, what's Lent? (laughs) (laughs) We're terrible. Come on, people. All right. Uh, Anyway, we digress. We do. Uh, What's uh, what's going on? What you got? Well, it was a little bit a little bit skinny in research land, Uh, but we did stumble upon a a Renaissance learning. I think you sent this around, Mike. Um, What kids are reading and the world's largest annual survey of K twelve reading habits. Yeah, that's what they kind of market this thing as. Twenty nineteen edition. It's not a rigorous study. Can I just say that it is a convenient sample, but it's comprised of data from classrooms with subscriptions to the Accelerated Reader, which is this really popular independent reading program, and a teacher can use it to input a child's reading goals, Mm -hmm. okay, like how much time they should read and the text difficulty and their comprehension goals. And then apparently the program offers up numerous options, like spits out a ton of options for the kid to choose from, and the students take quizzes on what they read. And the data are drawn from reading records for 8.7 million students Mm -hmm. in grades K through 12 who read 289 million books. That is a lot of books. Yeah. And by the way, this is, we think, uh, for when they get to do sort of independent reading. That's right. right. This is not when they're doing, sitting around with the teacher in a reading group. That is key, yes. So it's really, so in this respect, it's okay that, for example, they aren't necessarily reading at their grade level. Uh, Oh, that's right. Although the teacher's supposed to input that stuff and kind of prompt them, you know? But we'll find out how that pans out. Ah, Go lowering standards. Um, About 29,000 schools spanning all 50 states in D.C. The report lists the top 20 books read at each grade level. Uh Okay. And then they give you some other basic data. And um, again, there's like no methods section, right? So I'm just going to tell you what they told us. It's it's, it's a parent-friendly report. All right. Uh, And I'm going to quiz you guys a little bit. I like to do that. Uh, So number one, uh, we have average books read per student from grades K through 12. In the early grades, they separate out books that were read independently versus read to the kids because obviously Mm -hmm. kids aren't reading a ton in kindergarten. Uh, Which grade do you 
you think boasts the highest average books read per student? Mm, fifth. Second. Second, Mike. You got it. They're long by the time you get to fifth. Dave. All right. He's okay, he's going to be, he's got kids. He's, he's yeah, going to be a manager. I do have a second grader and a fifth grader. So, <laughs> yeah, boom. That's dirty cool. Yeah. Uh, 57.1, Mike. Uh-huh. Uh, books in grade two. <laughs> they are short. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Fine. Issue. Right, right. Yeah. 84% were read independently at grade two. Mm-hmm. Uh, now for the grade with the lowest average number of books read per student. David, you got a chance here on this one. I mean, logically, it has to be a high one. Twelve. What did <laughs> grade you twelve. Oh, grade yes, twelve. Exactly. Uh-huh. What do you uh-huh. What do you think? How many How many books are reading grade twelve? Six. Four point seven. Mm, yeah. uh, goes downhill. Well, if it's war and peace, you know. Then I get, <laughs> right, you know, we can right. forgive them, but probably isn't. It's probably it was a hundred years of solitude in my day. <laughs> uh, the Oof. biggest decreases in the number of books read occurs between grade two, three, and then three, four, and then five, six. You just yeah. see, yep. just see it going down, down, down. I know. I know. I'm just saying. Uh, number two. Now let's see if you can guess some titles okay. uh, for grade K two. What do you think is the number one or two most popular mm. title? Think of your own mm-hmm. childhood. I'm giving you a quiz. Your own childhood. Oh, my own childhood. I'll really go, first, go back far since enough. Since I have no where the wild uh, things are. That was on the list, but not one or two. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, I, I had some ideas. So mad. But, You're going to be mad at yourself when I say what it is. Uh, oh, um, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but tell me what else you had. I have a few more down there. A what do you think? Fly guy. Uh, I don't know what? if that was on there. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, are you? These are not, this is not a great uh, literature. Uh, hungry, Hungry I, Caterpillar. I don't remember that. Don't That's know. on there, yep. But okay. also Clifford the Big Red Dog, oh. my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. Love Clifford the Red Big Dog. Mm-hmm. Good Night Moon. That was mm-hmm. a bit. No, and the very, the true story of the Three Little Pigs. I forget what the true story is, but I remember reading it to my godson one time. But it's got, yeah. do you remember it, Mike? It's well, there's many variations. Many I mean, variations. The three Little Pigs have been discredited. All right. Number three. <laughs> I um, think it's the vegan version, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, half of students, I assume that's K-12, they don't really say in the report, uh, read less than how many minutes per day? Half of students read less than how many 15. minutes per day? 15, across, that's across right. I think so, David. They didn't You're say. cheating. I, I'm not. I'm, uh, the height of reading time is 20 minutes in grades 2, 3, yeah. and just 8 minutes in grades 11, 12. <sighs> 8 minutes. Ouch. Uh, number four, their research shows that most kids across K-12 are reading in the recommended range for their grade level, mm-hmm. but at the lower end of the range. So, I don't, remember I told you it spits mm-hmm. out a bunch of options? The kids tend to choose the lower range options. Um, and so, the average, this, this is really the killer right here, the average reading level of books chosen in high school by the kids, mm-hmm. what do you think it is? Mm-hmm. Sixth grade? Mm-hmm. 5.6, which is fifth grade, six months. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Whoosh. Compared to the sampling of first-year college texts, which clock in at 13.8, and newspapers clock in at 10.4. Mm-hmm. Number five, there exists a huge gap between the number of vocabulary words learned by students who read less than 15 minutes a day versus those who read 30 or more minutes. Can I just interject? Are we, yep. When we say read, do we mean read books? We mean, I read all the time, but I don't read yeah, books Yeah, we either. mean on accelerated reader. Okay. Right? It's got to right. be on the program. Okay, gotcha. right? um, Those who consistently read more than 30 minutes a day over K-12 mm-hmm. earn an, learn an average of 13,866 new words. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now take a guess if you read under under 15 minutes per day what that number looks like. 14. <laughs> David, what you got? 1,500. 1900 you guys you guys were in the ballpark that's that's a huge difference right if you just uh, yeah yeah. Uh, number six what percentage of kids read half an hour or more the other end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. 10 10 yeah 18 
Uh, number seven, grades, we're going to go back to titles. Grades six through eight, top 20 include Diary of a Wimpy Kid, mm-hmm. Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Maze Runner, and then try to guess the other one. This is going to be tricky, but it was a big movie that came mm-hmm. out for teens. Hunger Games. Well, you're clo- you're, not, you're a little ahead of your time, oh. David. You remember? I am a researcher. It's like <laughs> kids. It was like the kids were sick. It was the most depressing movie. Oh, like the, kids, oh the Fault in Our Stars. There you go. The Fault in Our Stars. Yep. That is a big one for grades yeah. six through eight. Kids love that book yep. I mean it's depressing yep. kind of and the really author's sad. big on YouTube yep ah, alright and then um, number 8 grade 12 alright now mm-hmm. we're still in titles most popular titles for grade 12 spots 1 and 2 it's a little surprising actually spots mm. 1 and 2 grade mm. 12 well, I already said War and Peace I guess that's probably that's not, not it, it. Yeah. these are what kids are reading these days yes uh, grade 12 think of the kill classics Kill a Mockingbird Hamlet uh, Hamlet Wow, that's Hamlet. Do you really are reading Hamlet right on their know. own? Wait, is that right? <laughs> no, that's I, right. Hamlet? Yeah, <laughs> it's Hamlet. Oh, no. <laughs> Hamlet and Macbeth was number two. Oh, my. Uh, Frankenstein my. comes in at number three, the Mary Shelley book. Hamlet. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then you already got this one. This was my big buildup. What series is in every top 20 list from grades <laughs> six through 12? Six through 12 every single year. Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. Yep. Yeah. The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Kids love that series. They six do. through 12. Yeah. They, uh, I don't know, <laughs> art, art, yeah, mirrors reality or something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, at some point, I, I do want to do some. I, I can't believe I haven't done this yet. Some kind, you know, the, some kind of thing about developmental stages of the modern American child. You know, and hmm. it's no longer Piaget or anything. It's like, right. okay, there's the Pokemon phase, yes. and there's the Lego phase. Yes. You know, eventually, you do get into the Hunger Games phase. Wow, it's true. It's, wow. and it's I just say I enjoyed the Diary of a Wimpy Kid phase. Uh, those yes. books, I mean, they have no. Real redeeming literary quality, but they're hilarious. What are they? They're funny. Yeah. That postdates me. Either that or yeah. it's, it's you've got it's yeah. It's after you got to go back and see. It's basically Seinfeld for kids. Mm. It's not. Oh, it's okay. about nothing. Well, when you put it like but that, they're funny. Yeah, <laughs> you put it like that. It sounds kind of great. And the main yeah. kid is just are they all bad people? Narcissist. Yeah, he's yeah. basically oh, a yeah, okay. totally oh, nar- wow. like he yeah. No, he, he makes his best friend walk in front of him. To look out for dog poop to make sure he doesn't. Stuff. It's all making Stuff sense like now, Mike. It's everything that's happened in America over yes. the last twenty years is yes. it's all it falling does. into place. It is. It's, yeah. it's in there. there yeah. I mean, that was it was like number three or four. Yeah. Right, you know. And what that's does what happen when you raise a generation on dystopian uh, literature? Uh, like the Hunger Games, you get a dystopia. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> is that what we're taking away from the study today? I don't, I don't know. know. Interesting. All right. Well, maybe study. Yes. Well, not really. Uh, it's but it's interesting. Look, we have so little insight into what yes. is actually happening inside the walls of our That's schools. Right. This stuff like this is right. actually a little window. Something. You, yeah, you, you get a sense. I think we got to pay attention. Window. And especially, look, this is how we are forming young people is part by what they're reading. So I think so. Yeah. All right. So, Katniss, yeah, but, Katniss is I, great. It could be worse. Yeah. See? Yeah. And by the way, my son mentioned Katniss the other day. Both my wife and I were like, what? who? What? <laughs> I, I know. About? Yeah. What are you feeding the cat? cat I know. What? Yeah. I mean, are they, is she going to come back with like more, like another sequel? Is it in the works? Or I guess there's no more books? How, or are there, are, There's a bunch. I mean, how many are there? There are three, right? Oh, just three. Three. It's a trilogy. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> There are more than one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Good stuff, Amber. Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. It's that, so much easier to read than an MBR study. Uh, like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, what a nice break. I bet it is. <laughs> all right. That is all the time we've got. Till next week. Until yep. next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm David Griffin. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.